I've got some interesting results I want to share with you. And we've compiled a, some of these results in a, in a slide for you, a couple of slides. Remember about a month ago we did a, a congregational survey here and we had people fill out areas of mission and ministry that they were involved with. And also, the reason we're doing this is that we are in the mode right now of grabbing hold of God's call to be an outward-focused church and to reach out to our community and beyond. And these results give us an indication of how God is calling us to do that. We're going to take a quick look at that. Do you have a couple of slides for us, John? Oh, there we go. So, the first question was, do you feel called to reach out in some way? And these are the numbers we got back. We had a lot of people interested in adults, small groups, a lot of people, outreach mission, youth, and children, and congregational care were the top categories. Let's take a look at the next question. What's on your heart? What are the unfulfilled needs that you see here at this church? Look at the themes that emerge from this. Again, lots of people interested in forming small groups. Well, guess what? There's a whole wave of Holy Spirit-led small group formation happening here. And this is evidence of that. A lot of people interested in marriage ministry, single-parent families, adult classes, neighborhood evangelism, and then 76 other categories spread across the spectrum. All right, next question. What's on your heart? What's on your heart if you look outside the walls of the church more? Look to the community around us where we live. The homeless and poor, internationals in our community, elderly, at-risk children, at-risk teens. Basically, this is a biblical teaching right here we see in this slide. Because God's concern is for those who are at a disadvantage, oppressed in some way, at risk in some way, poor in some way, these are the people on God's heart. These are the people on our heart. How are we going to reach out to them? It's a strong indication to us that the Holy Spirit is blowing in this church. You've heard a lot of talk about Jubilee, the theme of Jubilee, God's call to mission. That Jubilee is this. It is a movement of the Holy Spirit. It's moving us. And the way it shows up is in acts of service that show our community the real Jesus. That's what it's all about. If you didn't get a chance to participate in this little survey a month ago, I encourage you, you, you get another opportunity today. You can pick up one of the slips on the way out, and I would really love to, to see more of these handed in so that we can do a good job of discerning exactly where God is calling this church to put our efforts. Thank you. Now, Lord, as we turn to this message, we ask that your spirit would be with us also in this way, that, that this time would be a way of preparing our hearts to answer your call to Jubilee, that we would have courageous hearts, Lord, to live lives of faith. So be our teacher, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as you could tell, the psalm that we looked at this morning is one of the many psalms that we're looking at this summer on prayer. And it's one of the, the psalms that starts off with those two words, 
that we've heard in a lot of the other psalms. A lot of my favorite psalms start off with the same two words of David. And I, there's a lot of psalms that we don't know who wrote them, and that's probably okay because they're beautiful prayers in their own right, and it doesn't matter. But in this case, I'm glad that I know that. I'm glad that I know who wrote this psalm. Because I can just picture the courageous heart of young David. You know this story. Young David, this, this teenager, this whippersnapper, who rushes to the front lines of the battle, where he doesn't belong. He pushes his older, bigger, stronger brothers out of the way. And he goes and faces the enemy giant, Goliath, the most, most fearsome man on the face of the earth, and faces him single-handed. What, is that an act of courage or what? And he doesn't even take any weapons with him, at least not even a man's weapon. He takes the weapon of a boy shepherd, a slingshot. And he doesn't even have a stone. He has to stop and bend over and pick up some rocks on his way out there to meet this giant. And you know what happens next. With one single shot, he nails that sucker right between the eyes. And the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Is that an act of raw courage or what? No wonder God anoints him king over ancient Israel. Where does a boy find that kind of courage to do such a thing? Well, his courage comes from believing in something bigger than Goliath. And it's not his big brothers and it's not this king, Saul, who is so powerful and yet sends a boy off to do a king's errand. He's got somebody else on his side who is bigger than any enemy that the Israeli army has ever seen. David knows that he's got God on his side. And that's the best source of courage because if God is on your side then what have you got to fear? So that's a kind of raw courage that enables David to face Goliath. But you know what? I think that's kind of a youthful courage. I think that there's there's a more mature, grown-up kind of courage that we need to get to, that this psalm helps us to get to. Let me show you what I mean. Let me show you why there's kind of a childlike quality to this, to this courage. Have you ever noticed how many kids' fairy tales have giants in them? The big bad wolf, the big green giant, or the ugly ogre, little jack in the beanstalk, you know, he gets cut down to size. And, and then there's Shrek, he turns out to be weaker than a pussycat. But, there's just something about fairy tales that sees on giants as our enemies. You know, just, just last week I was hiking in the woods with my five-year-old son, Jacob. And I think there must be something about the deep, dark woods that brings out these fears because he started asking me about giants. And he wanted me to know about the 10-foot giant. He wanted to ask me about the 10-foot giant. And then he wanted to know, Daddy... How big is 10 feet? So I was trying to figure out how to explain to him. I tried explaining, well, a basketball hoop is 10 feet, but that didn't do any good. I said, well, how big is 10 feet? So I looked ahead, and there was a trail marker on a tree ahead of us. And I said, okay, that right there, that trail marker that's nailed to that tree, that is 10 feet off the ground. Well, that didn't satisfy him. That wasn't good enough. 
because he insisted that I go over and stand up against the tree so that he could measure me and see how big I was. Well, sad to say, I didn't measure up. (laughs) But here's the good news. This is such a blessing. He said, well, Dad, you're only one foot shorter. You just need to grow one more foot because you're nine feet tall. (laughs) Praise God for children. But there comes a time when when our parents or our heroes or our mentors or people of faith in our lives, they end up not being big enough either. Only God is big enough. And that's why I don't see that this psalm is being written by the young King David. I see this psalm as the prayer of an older, wiser, and more worried King David who has lived long enough to face enemies even more terrifying than Goliath. This is a prayer of a man who has been surrounded by enemies on all sides. He has seen his kingdom challenged from within. He's faced the rejection of his wife, the mutiny of his sons, He has lived long enough to fear that all of his dreams are going to die in failure. But yet, it's the same courageous heart that's praying this prayer. It's a mature kind of courage that's coming out now. The the, the kind of courage that faces enemies that are much more challenging than a Goliath. And where does that kind of courage come from? It's the courage to do what's right, to walk the narrow path even when it hurts, when it's hard. It, the, the courage to hang, into, hang in a marriage that's struggling when your spouse is rejecting you. The courage to blow the whistle on a boss who's cheating, even though it may cost you your job and ruin your career. The courage to take the high road when, when people are talking about you and undermining you. The courage to fight illness or, or suffering without letting it wipe out your faith. These kinds of giants are not so easily slain. And if you've faced any of these, you know that no single shot is going to bring them down. They stick with you. The battle turns into a battle of attrition. These are the kind of enemies that, that move in with you and take up residence. And you can't run away from them. You can't fight them. They're too big. You can't run away from them. It's the old saying, wherever you go, there you are. The kind of enemies that you can't go out and meet on the battlefield. You know why? Because the the battle is being fought right in here. In our own hearts. And when we find ourselves fighting those kinds of enemies, we're likely to end up saying a prayer like this. Lord God, give me strength. Give me strength. For today, give me strength. And when we end up saying that prayer, we have landed in the one place that none of us want to be, the waiting place. The place where the battle drags on and on and we're struggling and we need help. And there's one thing we all hate to do, it's wait. If you're like me, you'll end up changing lines at the supermarket three times just trying to find the ones that's the shortest and you always guess wrong. So whatever I go, go to the other one and see me in line. I'm just impatient. And I I have to say, there's one prayer that I have a hard time saying. It's to pray for patience. I do not want to pray for patience. I think patience is way overrated. (laughs) 
Now, I know that patience is right there admitted into number four in the all-time top nine list of fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's right there. Love, joy, peace, patience. Galatians 5.22. And I know it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm not denying that. But I think we got kind of the wrong idea about patience if it ends up being overrated. Because I don't see patience as, as a case of sitting around and taking it. I don't see patience as a situation of inaction, of, of doing nothing, of just taking it and being submissive to what's going on. I don't want to say that prayer because you know what? God answers prayers. <laughs> you be careful what you pray for because what if, what if I got it and he gives me, gee, he gives me another set of opportunities to practice patience and to struggle. <laughs> no, thank you. I'll pray for some of those other fruits first. But, and it's interesting right here in this psalm. David is not praying for patience, is he? He's not praying for patience. He's praying for victory. He just knows that he's got to have the courage to put up with it and wait for God for the victory to come along. And then we hear about the example of Job. Didn't Job have patience? Uh-uh, I don't think so. Have you read Job? This is Job. Oh, that I, this is Job speaking. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would grant my desire, that it would please God to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my consolation. I would even exult in unrelenting pain, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? What is my end that I should be patient? Job is railing at God. But there's one thing Job hangs on to. There's one thing Job doesn't do. He doesn't give up on God. He rails at him. He demands action and he demands action now. And when action doesn't come, he keeps on demanding it. He hangs in there with God. Because he believes God is a God who hangs in there with him. Listen to what he says. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. But then he goes on to say this. Because there comes a time when the ranting and railing come to an end. And you're left with what's in here. You're left in what you believe in. And it comes down to one thing. And whether you have courage or not, in your life depends on what that one thing is. And a lot of people go through their whole life trying to figure out what is that one thing that you can bet your life on. What is it? And the journey of faith, the struggle of faith is a struggle of trying to figure out what is the one thing that you know you can count on, that you can bet your life on. Job knows what it is. That's why he's able to endure. He says this. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that at the last, he will stand on the earth. We hear that same prayer echoed right here in Psalm 27 out of King David. He says, I believe I shall see the Lord in the land of the living. I shall see the goodness of the Lord. Not in the hereafter. 
You see, the interesting thing about the Bible is that it doesn't really talk a lot about the hereafter. It's mainly concerned with the right here and now. It's concerned with what we're dealing with, you and me, right now. And that's why God came into human history to live with us. So I don't see this as a prayer for patience. I see this as a prayer for God to grant me the strength to go on while I wait to see how he's going to show up in my life. Because I expect him to be good. I expect him to be faithful. That's his promise. I have a friend, George, for whom this particular psalm became very important. In fact, the last verse of this particular psalm, he found himself in a very painful part of life. Much to his surprise, he discovered that his marriage was on the verge of divorce. And he felt rejected. And this psalm had a profound impact on him while he went through, he and his wife, through two solid years of intensive counseling, trying to find a way to hold it together. And he told me that he meditated on this psalm, in fact, the last verse of this psalm, every day. So I asked him, well, George, what did you find? How did this psalm comfort you? And he said, no, Bruce, you got it all wrong. This psalm didn't comfort me. This hurt. This, this psalm met me in my pain because I realized I had to wait on the Lord and I didn't want to. I wanted to get it fixed. I didn't meditate on this psalm because it was comfortable. I meditated on this psalm because it was true. And it reminded me that God was there with me. And that was the only one thing I could count on. What's the one thing you count on? We know what it is for David. We know the source of his courage. He tells us right here, One thing I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. To live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's where courage comes from, believing in one thing. And there's only one person in our lives who is big enough to stand up under the pressure and the weight of the struggles that life throws at us. There's only one person that I've ever found. Jesus. The Christ. He's the only one. He's God's proof to me that God is on my side. And if God is on my side, I can have courage. Courage comes from knowing Jesus. He proved it because he's the last word on courage. He laid down his life for my sake to prove to me that God's on my side. And he said this, Jesus deserves the last word on courage because he is the last word on courage. And here's what he said right before he went to the cross. In the world, you will have trouble. But take courage. I have conquered the world. So courage isn't about rushing into battle alone. That's a raw, youthful kind of courage. But mature courage is about turning to God in prayer. Submitting our lives to the authority of Jesus. The one who has conquered the world. When we do that, he gives us courage. When we do that, 
our lives are transformed into lives of courage. So if you want to live a life of courage, just do this one thing right now. Just say a prayer to Jesus. Make a decision. Make the decision to trust him. And when you do that, you'll discover what the life of courage is all about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are light. You are salvation. You, the only rock we can stand on when the storm blows. You, Jesus, the one who laid down your life to prove it. You, you're our source of courage. Give us the courage to make that decision so that we can experience the freedom that a life of courage permits. In Christ's name, amen.